Philosophy Friday. It's the day you've been waiting for. <laughs> Let's do this. Chris, oh, not Chris. <laughs> <laughs> That's a compliment, brother. I take it. I take it. Uh, I've been so confused. My brother's been on Two Kingdom Tuesdays. That was confusing. Uh, yeah, you're not Chris. You're Nick. Oh, so. okay. I'm, I'm stoked. I think it's good that you're Nick. I think it's great. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're on Friday, and uh, we're going to do this thing. Man, I've had a long... I've, I feel like it's Friday. It's actually only Tuesday for us recording, though. And I feel like I'm at the end of the week. That's not a good sign. Big week already. Yeah, yeah wow. Tuesdays, man. Um, but yeah, Philosophy Friday. So if you're listening to this, probably you're stoked. It is the end of the week and uh, you're looking for a little a little stuff to think about, uh, a little bit of a little bit of action on the apologetics front, just in case mm. you get into some good evangelism over the weekend. Uh, so let, what have we got today, Nick? So today we're going to be looking at a form of argument known as ad hominem. Okay. Which literally translates as at the man and Mm. uh, basically this is an objection to christianity that goes something like this i would never join the church because christians are hypocrites or because the church is responsible for so much injustice (laughs) and so christianity is out because of its representatives right totally yeah um so why do people like that argument why do they think it works i think I mean, just generally speaking, this is the way people do politics. True. Yeah. I mean, just just think of uh, the Clinton and the Trump debates. It's the way way you know, people think. Yeah. You know, right. what what we do is we throw the word impeachment around, mm. and it it puts a lens over a certain person, mm. true or not. As the, as the person loses credibility in our eyes, mm. their words lose cre- credibility in our eyes. Mm. Yeah, that's true. And so I suppose it becomes the weapon that you use. The The whole thing, um, I mean, obviously ad hominem often gets used. I know one of the big things um, is when you have a discussion, for example, with like, I don't know, I'm just thinking this off the off the cuff now, but like Calvinism versus Arminianism, you know, and then, yes. uh, and then you know, classically, um, you know, they'll, they'll launch a few missiles into something that Calvin did wrong. Yeah. And so it's very... Yeah, and it's very closely related to the genetic fallacy in that you know if you can if you can get to the root you can get to the fruit kind of thing, and yeah, yeah. Um, and so I suppose it it all comes as a result of, um, or it, it comes as a package deal, but it's all a result of yeah as you said I think you hit the nail on the head like popular thinking but sloppy thinking, in yeah. that if you had to just stop and think it through it's it doesn't work it's not a true argument it's fallacious yeah, yeah. and uh, this the the ad hominem critique. It's used by believers and non-believers alike. This is not just Christians who use this as a way to defend Christianity. This is a legitimate uh, tool of logic. Mm. Um, here's a here's a quote from uh, there's a very famous textbook called Introduction to Logic by mm-hmm. Irving Kopi. Mm-hmm. He, he says this about the uh, ad hominem argument. He says, mm-hmm. "The way in which this irrelevant argument may sometimes persuade is through the psychological process of transference." Mm where an attitude of disapproval toward a person can be evoked, it may possibly tend to overflow the strictly emotional field and become disagreement with what that person says. Mm -hmm. But this connection is only psychological, not logical. Mm. Even the most wicked of men may sometimes tell the truth or argue correctly. Yeah, yeah. There there we go. 
Yeah, and and the problem is it just takes the focus away from truth at the end of the day. You've got, you're not measuring the argument, you're measuring something else. And uh, yeah, you're transferring, as you just said. Yeah, Yeah, so it's it's not a good thing to fall into and, and, you know, any part of life, but yet we all do it. And, uh, you know, Christians do it when they talk about, you know, atheists and um, evolutionary sort of, you know, where it goes and what people have done who have thought about, um, you know, perhaps have had that worldview and look, this is what it it brings about and you try and make the connections and you got to be very careful with that sort of thing as well, because, mm. uh, you know, it might sound very inviting. It might be, look very obvious, but, um, you know, it's okay to make that kind of um, insinuation or not insinuation, but that kind of argument, if you can make it stand logically. And that's basically the, the thing yeah. that we want. You don't want to just have to resort, uh, resort to really, I a suppose. Cheap shot. Yeah. Can, cheap shot. Just, can just yeah. be a cheap shot. Yeah. Cheap shot name, uh, name calling, you know, that's really yeah. what it comes down to. Just, just play. Um, as we think about the charge of hypocrisy, this is something that we want to take seriously though. So although yeah. on the one hand, it's a logical fallacy. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, because Christians ought to be holy, it's something we want to take seriously because we do have a witness that mm-hmm. God has given to, given to us. Mm-hmm. We have a call to be a light and salt. Um, so, we, we, we take this charge very seriously, and so there's a bit of pushback from the Christian perspective. Mm-hmm. And uh, sort of the first way that, that we push back at this ad hominem argument is to say, well, let's, let's just, let's just uh, fine-tune some definitions here for a moment. What is a Christian? Mm. Because uh, the broad brushstroke you know, can, can just group everyone together. Anyone who's ever been from a Christian nation, mm-hmm. you know, anyone who's taken the, the name of Christianity throughout all of church history, anyone who's not a Muslim who might be a Christian or not a Hindu, therefore is a Christian. Yeah. And, you know, they get they get lumped in with the church. Very typical in uh, Muslim evangelism. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, America, England, Australia, mm, all, Zealand, Christian, yeah. all Christian nations. Yes. And, you know, high divorce rates, high abortion rates, lots of sex outside of marriage, mm. women dressed immodestly. Therefore, Christianity is wrong. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, there's a false association there in the first place. So we, we do need to fine-tune um, the definitions of what a Christian is. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the true test of whether someone is a true representative, re- representative of Christianity is, you know, whether they're keeping to what the Bible says a Christian is. Mm-hmm. Totally. And uh, we would insist on that. Yeah, they've got to claim to be a Christian and they've got to be living in some measure uh, you know, in, in some way connected to to the teachings of Christ. Like you can claim to be a Christian and then run around with a sword as a crusader. And it's just like, well, have you read your Bible? You know what I mean? And um, and stuff like that. So you've just got to you've got to um, you've got to look out for. Um, I mean, even I'm just thinking those those surveys, you know, um, evangelical surveys, those Barnes surveys, and, you know, it's a similar sort of problem in that, you know, you've got... Statistical ev- arguments. Yeah, you've got everyone claiming to be a Christian, and on what basis do you even move forward? That's nothing. It's not even a thing, you know? Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. So, yeah. So, okay, so uh, how are we know, defining Christianity there? So what we're defining it as is obviously, uh, from a biblical point of view, is a person mm-hmm. um, who recognizes that God has made us to be in a relationship with himself, mm-hmm. though because we are sinners, we need Christ, and we have been restored, regenerated. Uh, though we're, we're not per- perfect, we're a work in progress. Mm-hmm. We are generally committed to God being the Lord of our lives, committed to his task, although at times we're inconsistent. The general tenor of our lives is towards Christ. Yeah. Good. Um, like yeah. So there's the internal supernatural aspect, and there is the expectation of an external uh, works mm-hmm. uh, that are evident as well. 
Great. All right. Good. Now, why is it important that we define Christianity in terms of the charge of hypocrisy? Well, just to basically annihilate the, the, the millions of those who go under the banner of Christianity who do terrible things, right. which drag the name of Christ into the mud. Right. So we, we need to fine-tune the definition to say, yep, wrong. And then we need further fine-tuning in this regard to say, you know, well, this is what the Bible says a true Christian is. Mm-hmm. And then even within the camp of what we would accept to be Christianity or the church, mm. there have been those who have claimed the name of Christ but are demonstrably inconsistent with what the Bible teaches. For mm. example, the Crusades. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've got the situation with the Crusades where the Pope is in France and uh, he sees the, the French nobility fighting each other. Mm. And uh, in order to stop the French nobility from destroying each other, he distracts them. Mm. He distracts them with the problem of the the Muslims who are attacking the pilgrims that are going to the holy site of the Holy Sepulchre. Right. He stands up and says, you know, let's not fight each other. Let's fight the infidel and let's take back the Holy Land. Let's take back the place where Jesus was uh, died and where he was uh, born and all of that. And uh, try to justify it as being God's will. Mm. And uh, here's, here's the key. You know, Christians have an, uh, uh, the Bible, which enables us to demonstrate what Christians ought to be. And uh, we are able to be self-critical in this regard. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think of atheism. Yeah. Can you, be, can you be a hypocrite? Wow. If you, yeah. if you don't have a norm. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. That's good. Yeah. yeah, that's a great point. Um, but, the other uh, thing, just yeah. just beyond the, just before we move on there, the the Bible is obviously there for us to be self correcting. But the other thing is just like <clears throat> we we do have Jesus as well, which is you know at one level you don't want to be okay. Listen, you know Christianity has no connection to Jesus, you know, so don't look at Christianity, only look at Jesus. But at at, at another level, it is true that Christianity as a religion claims that Christ is the only one who has you know, nailed Christianity, so to speak. Um, he's, he's the only one who, who, who's pulled it off. That's the whole basis for the, for the thing. And so I think a lot of it is, uh, yeah, just, hey, be careful of how you're defining a Christian. And another thing is just consider the Christian doctrine at its base. You know, we're, we're saying that if there is hypocrisy, this is precisely why we need one who wasn't a hypocrite mm. so that we could, you know, indeed have a hope, a hope of, of, of salvation. So there's that whole thing as well, just to throw in there. I don't know if you're going to circle back on that. Yeah, but definitely, yeah. definitely. Okay, sweet. But uh, just a little story to back that up. You know, there was a, an Indian evangelist in India, and he was preaching the gospel, and someone came up to him, and he was a young Christian, and someone came up to him and said, you know, I'm not going to accept Christ because Christians are hypocrites. So this young evangelist went to an older Christian, and the older Christian said, well, I've got some good news. You know, we're here to accept Christ, not Christians. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. Yeah, and, and it's true. It's just at, at that level, it's true. Now, the other thing, though, on that point, it's always maybe a little bit uncomfortable for me personally, and I remember thinking through this just when I became a Christian, is that if it was true that, you know, there was a total disconnect you know, if the Bible, like, and it does, it may, it makes the claim that, yes, fine, 
Jesus is our Savior, and we're looking to Him primarily, but that there is a very real work of the Spirit that should happen to those who mm-hmm. have been around for a while and, and you know have had those sanctifying influences and are pursuing holiness. And in fact, that's one of those things that will testify to the truth of their Christianity. And so, you know, it, that is part of that same doctrine. So it's not like we're getting a free from jail escape card here and just going, hey, well, don't look at us. You know, the, the, the reality is the part of that very same salvation doctrine does say that there is, as you said earlier, um, there is a burden on us to, to live in a certain way. And if we were looking at the Christian church globally or, you know, at, at large scale, and we were not seeing any, you know, godliness at all, any Christ-like representation at all, that would make me uncomfortable. That would be a problem for me. You know, that would be like, well, something about this is not striking true. And, um, it, you know, but even just saying that, you realize, well, you know, it couldn't be more the opposite. I mean, yes, you have a, a lot of hypocrites out there, but um, you also have, may- I mean, just too many to, to number mm-hmm. really. The, throughout the history of the church, they have been, and today, they are amazingly godly people whose lives you really can't explain apart from uh, what, what the Bible is, has told them. Yeah, so that's this, just... This, this might help. So so another part of the critique is go something like this. You know, there are lots of Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims that are better people than Christians. Mm. So Tim Keller has a, a three-part response to this sort of critique. He says mm. this. Firstly, God's common grace. Mm-hmm. Amen. In His goodness, which He pours out upon all creation, sometimes causes unbelievers to be richer, smarter, and more likable people than others. Mm-hmm. You know, so even in that critique, it's for God, not against God. Yeah, yeah, good. Okay, and uh, the second response is, you know, sometimes we can have a slanted perspective. For example, since good character in large part derives from, you know, stable upbringing, good mm-hmm. education, you know, a stable home environment, both parents being at home, and uh, an unbeliever may have a wonderful adjust- adjusted uh, upbringing, mm-hmm. whereas an unbeliever uh, grows up in a dysfunctional background, mm-hmm. learns a number of bad habits, doesn't have good parenting, and now they're only a few years old in the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, if you compare those two people, you're going to get a false uh, comparison, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Because the, the, the person who's come from a bad background has overcome some huge obstacles. Right. But it doesn't look, it, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's the parable of the talents. Uh, totally. There we go. I was about to say that. Um, yeah, yeah. Or take this example. You've got two people who are, the, let's just say, the exact same level of morality. Mm-hmm. But the motive of the believer is they're doing it for the glory of God and the love of their neighbor. But the yeah. motive of the unbeliever is a self-oriented one. Yeah. Um, and so at the level of motive, there is a greater purity. Yeah. Although externally, there may be no difference. And, and, you know, that area, that issue of motive is so important because we're never going to see that necessarily. And But yet we can say it definitively that if someone's not a Christian, their motive is not to glorify God. You yeah. Know? And so externally, they may appear good. Yeah. But it's a false definition of good because God sees the heart. It ultimately, that's you know, as a full package morality, that's always going to be the case. So I think that's something that's so important. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> as much as we want to affirm that an, that an unbeliever, uh, by common grace uh, and um, and God's mercies, whether he believes it or not, um, uh, can be a good man and a better man than a Christian, uh, we want to affirm that we mean that in a very restricted sense. You know, mm. um, and I think that helps as well. Now, uh, Keller's got a third point, and I think this is his best point. It's, it basically takes the argument and shows it to be a double-edged sword, which cuts back at the one making the criticism. Mm-hmm. And he, his point is this. Uh, we need to stress that Christians are saved by sheer grace and not by being good. Mm. 
Amen. You see, the, the charge of hypocrisy comes from the person who thinks morally superior people yeah. are the types of people who are, you know, make God real or go to heaven or, 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 or you know, that way of thinking. Mm. Christians, Christians don't believe that they're somehow better than other people. Mm. Mm. And so, therefore, we are worthy of going to heaven. Mm. We're, 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 it's not a religion for the morally superior. Yeah, and you know, no. to think of yourself as morally superior again is prideful and <laughs> morally inferior at the end of the day. Exactly. So it's just that so thing, this, you know. This gives us the the platform to say, do you think that you're morally superior? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and it brings out the doctrine of sin and our need for grace. Totally. Um, so yeah, it cuts it cuts back at the person making the criticism. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it it also gives us an opportunity to talk about Christ's definition of. Um, you know, self-righteousness and who gets saved and how a person is justified. You totally. talk about the parable of the, ta- the Pharisee and the tax collector. Mm. Oh, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like those other people. Mm. The, but the tax collector is the one who went away justified. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Christianity is, is a, it's, it's for the broken. It's yeah. for the poor in spirit. And, you know, when we present it that way, we actually get down to the person's true need. Mm. And we don't entertain the, their wrong perception of themselves. Mm. Totally. This was the biggest thing. When I was out in the streets evangelizing, um, you know, and just sharing the gospel, essentially, the, the two biggest things, you know, were the crusades of all things, you know, they just brought them up all the time. Like, what about the crusades? <laughs> you know, yeah. it was such a thing for people. It was crazy. And then the other thing was... Um, what we've just been talking about now in that no, I'm good enough. You know, I'm, um, in fact, uh, I'm, I'm, I know a few Christians and I'm a lot better than them. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite, it's quite stunning how prominent those two things were in all the various conversations that tended less towards, you know, philosophy and, and, uh, more towards this, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Law, grace stuff. Eh? Law, grace best. at the end of the day. Yeah. And that was it. I mean, law for the, for the proud grace for the humble. You know, yeah. that basically yeah. is the strategy at that point. But also a part of that would be an apologetic cut down, you know, stopping the mouth of the unbeliever in their, in their folly at that point, you know, just to, just to say, you know, your argument doesn't work, you know, it is important, even if it's not going to win them over. Um, there's value in that. Yeah. Amen. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I think also, and you, you mentioned it earlier, I wanted to come back to it now. Mm. But um, probably the biggest argument that we can make is the long history of Christians who have made a difference yeah, through their good works. Mm. You know, here's a, here's a, a wonderfully ironic one. Mm. When Charles Darwin first visited uh, Tierra del Fu- uh, Fuego, mm-hmm. he found the inhabitants in a state of misery and moral degradation. Mm-hmm. Some years later, he returns, but the Bible had been introduced by some missionaries. Mm-hmm. And uh, the change for the better was so indescribable he was astonished, and he, he then became a regular contributor to that missionary society. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here's a man uh, who's given birth to uh, wow. you know, all the athe- evolutionary atheism that we're <laughs> yeah. and he believed the Bible made a difference. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. And then, of course, there's people like William Wilberforce, mm-hmm. Earl Shaftesbury, Thomas Bernardo. You know, there's, there's so many situations that we could point to, mm. but maybe just just one more little story, which I think uh, was was quite powerful. This comes from the Reader's Digest. It's, What's uh, that? Oh man, <laughs> that's, that's, like, that's that toilet that toilet reading. That's that ancient scroll that used to be on the <laughs> on the dining room table of every household. Yeah. It's, it's Oprah on paper. All right, <laughs> that's true. 
<laughs> All right. So there was a little story called Shimabuku, and uh, it's uh, Shimabuku. This, this is going to be good. This is going to yeah, be good. The, the village that lives by the Bible. So it told how an advanced patrol of American troops liberating the island of Okinawa were approaching a particular village when they were confronted by two old men. These men were carrying a Bible. Suspicious of a trap, they called for the chaplain, who said he felt that they could go on into the village. So they entered, and they found it spotless. They found the fields tilled and fertile, everything a model of neatness and cleanliness, totally unlike the other rundown villages they had seen. They soon discovered the reason for this contrast. Thirty years earlier, an American missionary on his way to Japan had called in at this little village and stayed long enough to leave behind two converts, and he left the Bible, Hmm. and he urged them to live by it. Without any other outside human help, the community had gradually been transformed. There was no jail, no brothel, no drunkenness, no divorce, a high standard of health, and a remarkable spirit of social unity and happiness. Clarence Hall, the war correspondent who wrote the story, quoted the words of his dumbfounded driver who said, So this is what comes out of the Bible. Maybe we are using the wrong weapons to change the world. Come on. There we go. <laughs> Reader's Digest, baby. Back in effect. That's it. Oh, man. <laughs> It's reminding me of my favorite story with the guy that invented Guinness. You know, uh, yeah. you know that one. No, no. Everyone was like falling apart, like you know, because they were over drinking, and so apparently it was a Christian guy. And he invented Guinness, and it was like this wholesome drink, and then people started drinking Guinness, and everything was fine. <laughs> 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 there we go. Okay, I admit I'm not the storyteller that you are, but yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, you get the gist. Guinness is awesome, <laughs> and it, it's a Christian drink, apparently. So. There we go. Drink Guinness. <laughs> Drink Guinness. All <laughs> uh, right, that's good. Well, Friday, it's Friday is a perfect day for Guinness too. I mean, just go and, you know, it's wholesome. Sit by the fireplace. It's winter. If you're in New Zealand, if you're in Wellington, it's basically, whew, we're having a big, we're, uh, winter's hit us, I feel like. Mm-hmm. and um, That's why peppermint tea is the way to go. Peppermint tea. Ooh, you could also do that. I've had your peppermint tea, man. That stuff is nasty. Mm-mm-mm. <laughs> It's just well, what brand is it? You got to tell everyone the brand because you got that. You got that. Um, you got that like liqueur thing as well. Tea, yeah. Oh my goodness, what is that oil? Yeah, essential oil. Peppermint essential oil. <laughs> That's it. You've got peppermint essential oil in your peppermint tea. Gets in your eyes and makes you cry. I dare anyone who's listening to try that. <laughs> Always oh, so Guinness or peppermint tea. All right, we'll call it a wrap. Um, Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it, bro. Cool, man. See you tomorrow. Cheers.